There it goes. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm David from Contraption Collection. I am Dalen. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, it's okay, because I was about to say, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm Grant from Fellowship Blades. I'm Dalen from MachineWise, and we should do that again. No, 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 we're good. There we go. John, <laughs> this might be the first Johnless episode I was just saying. He's doing some family stuff. Uh, Grant, do you want to say the good reasons you were missing from a couple episodes? Oh, yeah. Uh, I got married, and then yep. I went Woo. to Greece for my honeymoon. So I was a, a huge chunk of everything. <laughs> nice. Okay, good. I don't remember if I've said that, because I <laughs> felt like you should be the one to say that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, so that's that's cool. Oh, Greece is awesome. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. The last couple of trips I've taken in like the last 10 years have been to uh-huh. Mexico because okay. it's like cheap, easy, out of the country trips. Um, and going to Greece was like a whole different experience. Uh, nothing against Mexico. It's great. But have you like, been to Europe before? I've been to, when I was younger, I went to Europe um, once or twice. I can't remember. Um, but it, I was like a, almost a child, but like compared to going on my own money as an adult is a very different experience. Um, yeah, but it was awesome. Uh, Greece was super, super nice. Um, we spent a little bit in Athens, super cool, but we spent the rest of it in Crete, which is an Island off the coast of Greece. And that was is there good, incredible. Uh, is there any good machine, uh, shops there you visited? No, I tried to, I was, I was scavenging for a knife maker. Um, cause there's a ton of like tourist shops and just shops in general in both Athens and Crete. And you know, they they have like touristy knives and a lot of them had like, you know, every country I feel like has some weird knife that they claim to be like their own. And every tourist shop has a billion of that knife. Um, and so I, I found one shop or a couple shops that had actual knives not like made in china knives like actual made in greece knives um and they were still kind of not great <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was felt, just making a joke that like you would spend your honeymoon well of course yeah machine shops but it sounds like you you at least tried a little bit <laughs> i tried a little bit you can't help it and and i went to a shop and i and i i found a guy or the the shop owner was i, I was asking him i was like hey do you you know, what's the situation with grease knives and do you know any of these makers? <laughs> and he was like, Oh yeah, I know him. He's my friend. And I was like, Oh, like really cool. And, you know, and I couldn't tell if he's just like trying to sell me like, right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if he actually knew the guy. So yeah. Kind of a bust, but I, I bought one of them. Um, but it's, it's clearly handmade in a, in a not like cool, good way. <laughs> Yo, yeah, yo. Um, but it's cool. You're, you know. you're good at like talking to people about that kind of thing. Like the, the when we went to San Francisco and uh, uh, and played show Atlanta or something, you're good at like trying to find the details from people where I'm too shy to ask anything. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things that um, I feel like I try to I try to ask, and as soon as I start the journey, I'm looking to see if they're like one of us, you know, like if, yeah. if they've got, if they've got the broken part of your brain that makes you one of us. <laughs> um, and so sometimes I pry it out and then I'm like, yes, you're now my new friend. Or sometimes I'm like, Oh, you're just a reseller from yeah, whoever. Yeah. And it's, you know, right. But I always want to know. Cause I, 
the the few times I get to be in like concentrated places of makers, like knife making or blade shows, or I went to San Francisco for open sauce. It's yeah. like, I try to get as much as I can. Cause I have nobody else <laughs> except yeah. like you guys and a yeah. couple of my buddies. Um, so I, I try to, I try to do what I can, but right. Yeah. My, my attempts at converting people hasn't worked as, as good. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a broken. I don't think birth. my mom's going to become a machinist, you know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe one day. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but what have you guys been up to this week? At least I'll, I'll let you go, Dalen. Cause like I said, I, I've had a rough week, lots of problems and, and I got sick. Oh no. Okay. Let's see. What have I done the last couple of weeks? We've been making good pen progress. I'm oh, waiting yeah. on a spindle liner for the lathe so we can make proper clips. I had to buy a five eighths diameter liner. Mm, nice. Um, which I'm bummed about. I was really hoping we could do everything out of a stock that was 14 millimeter or smaller, but unfortunately clips have to be bigger. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah so we have everything but the liner. Uh, so I can, you should just buy a second lathe for those. <laughs> <laughs> I wish oh, I could. Ooh, Williman, just for clips. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Fulgrim's best style on it. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, pens are going well. We have fully dialed in the mechanism, finally. It's taken us a lot of small revisions and losing our mind and trying different things. Mm-hmm. Do you like the smoothness of it now? I do, yes. So the trick was to... And it, it seemed like it wouldn't make a difference at first, and the more I thought about it, it turns out that it makes a big difference. But... um. We started with doing the cam barrel, the actual stationary piece, as brass, and then making a little plunger bit that like rides up those cam slopes out of a harder material. Mm-hmm. Well, that would that was causing shearing on the actual like lobes of the cam as it was riding up. It was like you know wearing oh, off yeah. material from the cam barrel. Yeah, it makes sense. That sounds um, like my early prototypes with my button. Yeah, so I I reversed the materials. So now the cam barrel is titanium and the little plunger bit is brass. And okay. it still wears it, but because it's it's not wearing the surface that it's riding up, so it feels smoother and it only gets smoother over time, whereas the other one would get crunchy over time. Why wouldn't you make them both of the same material? Uh, we did it first. We made them both brass initially just for the prototyping which I didn't like. And then I tried titanium and titanium, which I didn't like. Just and for then, the feel or, or what? Yeah, feel and then uh, galling as well. Ah, okay, gotcha. Um, ideally, you want one to wear or, you know, wear in and one to not. Sure, yeah. Um, And so maybe, like, if they were both, like, 60 Rockwell stainless or something, it wouldn't be a problem, but I don't. I don't want to try to machine both of those parts <laughs> out of 60 Rockwell material on a lathe with limited life tooling capabilities. Yeah. yeah. Really? You you don't want to do that? That's weird. Yeah, no, not 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 particularly, honestly. <laughs> Especially with the way, I mean, so like I've been using, I mean, that this segues into my, not war with Harvey, but just disappointment. I feel yeah. it. Uh-huh. Um, it's just been nothing but problems from with tooling from them. And I've been trying to go back and forth with uh, my local rep who's been really great about it. And funny enough, one of my customers is also internal at Harvey. 
I'm not entirely sure what division they're in, but they've also been giving me a lot of good updates on this, mm-hmm. which was, I think, kind of neat, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. He's DMing uh, me on Instagram. He, he's in the screwing around with people division. <laughs> yeah, that one, right? He's like, let's send um, this guy some weird tools. Yeah, right. So, like, every direct contact I have for Harvey's has honestly been really good, but uh, it's basically boiling down to, you know, I buy a lot of tooling from Harvey, and I can't anymore. I've continuously had to try to replace Harvey tooling with other tooling because Harvey's tools keep coming ground wrong or breaking extremely prematurely, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it's basically come to the point where Harvey will not give me an inspection report on the tools that I'm having issues with. <laughs> so they know it's wrong. Is that That's an admission. I can only assume. And they just keep <laughs> wanting to send me more. I'm like, no, I 20 more of these little 25,000 mills doesn't do me anything when one doesn't finish a part. Yeah. Yep. And so like, you know, I had a process for our screws with these, you know, little 25,000, 3,000 corner radius end mills to do the Torx patterns. I had a process mm-hmm. that was dialed to get like 700 Torx patterns out of one of these Harvey end mills. And then, you know, out of every time I buy like 15 or 20 of these end mills, you know, they're like 30 bucks each. Um, I'll get like two or three that'll get the 700. And then the rest of those tools from that batch, I'll be lucky to get 50. Dude, that's crazy. And then the most recent batch, which is the reason why your screws have been delayed. Yeah. Um, I got, I broke four or five in a row where they wouldn't even finish one part. That's that's wild. That's such a variation. Yeah. Right. And so I ended up giving up on those and uh, I picked up some some monster tool equivalents with a five thousand corner radius and they don't last as long, but they're consistent. I'm getting like about 200 parts out of one. Mm. So it's I mean, that's that's a fair bit. Relative to what I was getting, I'm still disappointed, but yeah. at least every single one has gotten around 200 so I can at least, you know, build a process around it because it's reliable. Yeah, 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 sure. yep. yep. And then I was using their um, Harvey's little thread mills to do our six sixty four threads, and uh, you know, I got at least two thousand threads out of those little thread mills in you know seventeen four H nine hundred, and then all of a sudden I was getting like fifty <laughs> from another batch of these things, and it's just one thing after another. So, yeah, maybe it's like a coding issue. Uh, well, on the end mills in particular, they were just straight up ground wrong. Yeah. Like yeah. visually with just a loop looking at them, they're 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 different. I I am seeing a really or today I was seeing a really weird thing. And I, granted, I may be misusing the end mill, but they also uh, they state their whatever orange coating can go up to sixty Rockwell. So I, I don't yeah. know how oh, how much I can misuse it. Yeah, helical, the the orange-coated, I forget what it's called right now, T-plus, eighth-inch end mill. I was getting a whole pallet, so five blades, uh, finish mill hardened state around the coupon. Um, And I was able to hold it, like, within a thou between all five blades. And then I'd replace it, and then, you know, no big deal. Today, I would cut one blade out. So the end mill is cutting literally not more than an inch and a half of linear foot. Or yeah, linear right. linear travel, um, it's just around the Zen cups, and between every single blade, it would change by two thou. Oh wow! So every blade got two thou larger, basically. Yeah, and it's it's granted it's on either side of 
I'm, I'm pinch. It's a pinch measurement. So it's doubling yep. it up. Outside, yeah. um, but still like a thou change every yep. single blade. And it got to the point where I was comping it uh, radially 0.57, I think, which is, you know, 114 thou, uh, con- which it should be 0.125, like 125. Yep. Uh, and that's how I was getting the right dimension for my blades. I was like, this is insane. I've never had an end mill. Well, so I've, I've had weird stuff happen. And I wonder if sometimes fusion like doesn't post out where or something like there's just a, a, the occasional time where just like things don't behave as you expect. And then I post out a new program with like just that tool path and it's like, fine. No, it's definitely not a fusion thing. I, Cause I look well, at the code I, as well. I would run it one, the first one on new tool and it would get mm-hmm. the right measurement. Everything was fine. Like measured off the machine yep, and then yep. same program, not touching fusion at all. I'd run it. It'd be bigger. I'd comp it in the machine and I'd get it back to the original size or to the yep. correct size. Um, I mean, unless fusion's somehow interpreting my comp in a really weird way. I highly doubt it. As long as the G41 or G42 is there, or are you doing in control? Or are you doing where? Or are you doing, uh, it's in control. Uh, uh Okay. But it's still the same. You just yeah, change the dimension of the ML. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I only use where. Interesting. So I have a question. I, well, I have two questions on that. Mm-hmm. Firstly, is your finish remaining okay? It looks well. Okay. The first it's just four, a rougher, right? Well, so I have a rougher and then a finisher, and so the rougher is whatever. Um, it looks okay, but it's not great because it's also it's slotting in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the finisher looks great. It did. When I got to the point where I was comping it like a crazy amount, like 10,000 from the end mill, what it should be, mm-hmm. I could visually see a wave in the surface. Okay. As in, I could see where the end mill was cutting two size and then two small and then two size. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like it was, it, it was, end mill was getting smaller, like 100%. <laughs> um, which I don't know, I, I, you know, if I blew through 7,000 of an end mill, surely I'm past the coating. But well, you're past the coding. You're also like you're past any relief. Like you have now grounded into a like zero relief, basically. So it shouldn't even be cutting anymore. Yeah. What, but what it, size like, of end mill is this? It's an eighth inch. Oh, yeah. And uh, what material? Uh, Magna Cut 60 HRC. <laughs> yeah. I No, I, I've had things like that, too, where it just seems like uh, there's just like a point where um the end mill's like, this is all I can cut. I can only cut this much. And so like comping wear over just like mushes it into the part more. If it's hardened, it, it doesn't actually take a bigger cut. Yeah. It's just, it's weird to me that it's, I mean, one, it's literally, well, so the finishing tool only touches an inch of material and it's like a thou stock to leave. So you're cutting almost nothing before it's changing that much dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I was getting good parts. Like, I did a f- whole, I don't know, 15 prototype blades yep. in within two end mills, and everything seemed fine. And then suddenly now, it's just oh. every end mill is doing this. Follow-up so, see, question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, these prototype blades, are they done on the Haas? Oh, uh, yeah, they were. And now they're being done on the style? Yeah. Could be. <sighs> that's, so, I mean, that's... The, that's I feel like the style should be more than rigid enough. The only real difference, realistically, would just be the BT30 versus the Cat40. Yeah, but... Less mass in the holder, maybe? 
the less kind of holder. So I, I'm on a Haas and I'm using like hydraulic tool holders for everything important. And uh, you know the like neck area where the Zen pins touch on my blades? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. If, if I try to like hard mill in there with an eighth inch end mill where it's like almost full uh, contact, mm-hmm. um, I can basically like adjust wear forever and it like won't cut more. It just just has issues in that corner because there's so much engagement or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And so if I want to cut more, I literally have to like make a fake sketch or model to get it to like go in more or rough it with a 16th end mill and then finish with an eighth inch. But mm. if I, if I just have it do the whole pass, it's cutting around the blade fine. It goes in this like tight area where it's like, uh, you know, it's an eighth inch end mill and, and it's like, a uh, one, four or something diameter mm-hmm. um it it just uh it, it just uh, it just kind of doesn't want to remove more material after time and it, and it dri- drove me crazy i made all those weird neck gauge things on my instagram to, mm-hmm. to measure neck uh the neck and and make sure i'm not being tricked uh but but yeah I, there's like weird situations i found where it just won't cut what's the diameter yeah. in there for you uh for me I, well, I guess for both of you, but more so for uh, for David. Like What's I said, I, I, I'd have to. It's been a while since I like drew it, so or the real version. Um, but I, I think it's only like maybe twenty thou bigger than the end mill. Yeah, so you're you're entering moderately large amounts of you know percentage diameter engagement. Yeah, there should only be a few thou stock remaining, but the end mill's touching on you know probably. 30% you know, of diameter. Mm-hmm. I, maybe even more than that. I was going to say more than half of the diameter. Yeah. yeah, it's probably just too much coupled with, like, what kind of tooling are you using for it? Uh, That's like a, a helical, you know, five flute or something for titanium. Okay. I mean, for so, uh, stainless steels or whatever. Right. And you're doing it in the hardened state? That would be the hardened state where I get the weird behavior where... Right, yeah. Just so one thing I've noticed... More. And this is, I don't know, this is going back to why I was so peeved at Moldino. Um, everyone seems to claim that coating is all that matters for hard milling, and I, I don't subscribe to that in the slightest. Um, I love helicals tooling. The quality seems there. They're ground in-house. I like their coating. But every time that they try to sell me on something that's like, you know, you can use this in hardened steel, the geometry for the flutes is not there for hardened steel. So it doesn't matter how good the coating is. You're not going to get yeah, good it. Yeah, if I was yeah. cutting a big square block or something, maybe I'd look at hard milling from helical, but but you're right. I like helical. I'll buy them for like soft stuff, but I, I also, it's like anyone who has a suggestion for a 16th inch or 8th inch diameter hard milling tools, you know. OSG you know. all the way. Yeah, yeah I, 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 uh, I'm going to probably go with OSG once I run through what I got. Yeah, I yeah. just snagged some OS, OSG four flute, whatever, exo card. Nice, the like A-line um, or whatever. Yeah, it's, I think they're the A-line. I don't know. OSG's to catalog sucks. I'm, oh, it's, yeah. If I didn't yeah, have a guy that told so, me everything about it, <laughs> I wouldn't know how to order them. Yeah, they're so tricky to figure out, like, the uh-huh. right one. Right. Um, Is OSG Japanese? Mm-hmm. Like uh, they are. Makes a sense. lot of Japanese websites look like they're from the '90s because there's like a Japanese culture about wanting like really basic websites that don't change or something. 
it's super annoying that doesn't seem to apply to machine tools where websites well, just like are super easy obvious buttons and yeah that's boxes. just how it is in like industry 4.0 is such a oxymoron to me yeah it, it, the whole all, we talked about this all the distributor stuff is just feels uh-huh. so outdated uh-huh. so anyway uh you switch to the style yeah uh that's the only switch everything else is the same okay so maybe you just have to finish and step downs or something Ooh, i don't want to do that but maybe yeah right i mean like I feel like your style should be more rigid or at the very least as rigid as like my mighty Viper. It's, it showed itself to be pretty much as rigid as the, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. yeah I, th- that's kind of what I was saying with my point of why I brought up my Haas and, and hydraulic tool holders. I think there's just a point where there's just, it's the rigidity of the tool itself. Like the machine could be the most rigid thing in the world, but it's a, it's a small diameter tool. Yeah. And it's right, definitely, it's just- it's definitely tool wear. I mean, granted, is, yeah. rigidity on everything else could you know, decrease tool wear, but um, like the tool itself, I measured it with mics, and it's it's less than one hundred and twenty thou. Yeah. So, no, no, like what what I was talking about, I think is deflection, because uh, I don't think that I can see like really bad uh, like material removal from my tool itself. Yeah. And so it, it does sound like you're just you know, mushing away material on your tool or something. Yeah, I mean, this could be the uh, the infamous rubbing that we always hear about, but yeah. <laughs> never seem to experience, but maybe, that's maybe what it is. Also, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, I, I was thinking about deflection, but you said you're only leaving, like, a thou? Uh, yeah. And, and, and like, least. what's the chip per tooth? Uh, Seven-tenths, and it's, like, 60 surface foot or something like that. Okay, seven-tenths isn't if it was, if you were gonna say below half a thousand, like okay, okay, now you know. No, it's, it's still seven, yeah. seven tenths. I mean, I don't know. I still might give it a shot. Leave like three thousand or five thousand or something. I wouldn't personally. I I have gone bigger and it it got worse. Okay, uh, okay. Because no, this is yeah. Some I mean, you had a recipe that worked. The only difference is if we went on the sile. You have air blast on the haws. Do you have air blast on the sile? You're running with coolant. I'm. I was running them both with coolant. Um. Oh, there's probably your other. Oh. That could be it too. Then. Yeah, it definitely isn't helping. I, I can do hook air blast on the sile. I just have it hooked up to my palace system right now, so I got to swap that mm. around. Yeah, uh, I'd give that a shot first, then honestly. Yeah, air, air. You know, you might be killing the coating, and it can't do anything. Yeah, well, the, the weird thing. I mean, the reason I'm doing coolant is because I was getting good success with coolant on the Haas. Okay. So I was like, oh, you know. Whatever it's, it's in, in ten years, we're going to be debating whether to use coolant for hard milling <laughs> or not. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but I mean, it it seems like a failure of the coating, or the maybe it's the flute geometry. Because, granted, like you said, these the coating may be able to withstand sixty HRC, but if the geometry is not there for it, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's so. probably your. You're probably just wearing through the coating, and that coating is the only saving grace that a mill has to protect itself against that material. And once that coating goes, it just eats up the carbide, is my guess. Yeah, so I'm g- I got some uh, OSG tooling. See if that does anything. If it doesn't make a big difference. I mean, yeah. Which I assume one did it, you get? Did you uh, get? Uh, I don't know. It's it's the. Um, is it like an eighth inch square? Is it an eighth inch ball corner round or uh, bull nose? 
I think it's eighth inch square because they didn't make an eighth inch corner round in the Ador- in the the A brand AE whatever. So they do. They I'm using uh they have an eighth inch twenty thou radius, but it has a relieved shank on it. Oh, uh, I so I don't use that one for profile finishing because okay. the you know the relief section reduces some rigidity. Um, funny yeah. enough, I have the best results with profiling with their their eighth inch ball end mills. I you know I thought about that because. Realistically, I usually sink the tool below, you know, the edge by a fair yep. margin anyway. Yep. Um, and I'm plunging, which a ball I assume is a little bit friendlier on a plunge um, to get into the or past the web, I should say. You have to run it slower to plunge it, but it, I think it would do it. Don't you pre-drill yeah. there anyway, though, now? Uh, I saw that, no. that, that message you put in about putting a drill, the drill hole there to reduce warping, so... Well, yes. So there is a pre-drill on the edge. Uh, it's not really a pre-drill for entry. It's a pre-drill, or it's a, it's a material r- relief for other reasons. Yeah, I don't, um, know. I don't know. But like, yeah. so the plunging has not been an issue because okay, cool. The 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 face of the end mill still looks brand new, even if the the sides are you know decreasing in mass. Yeah, exactly. Because. Mm-hmm. Uh, those ball end mills also do really well for bevel finishing. I don't know if you're doing 45 parallel passes or if you're doing perpendicular with a bull nose or not. But uh, I'm doing stepped with the bull nose, but I'm also okay, I'm using cool. the the Harvey hard milling stuff, and those are working fine. I, oh, they if, are okay, cool. If I can find a good uh, the the OSG version hard miller for the right bull nose, whatever. Yep, I have a part number for you. Uh, yeah, if you could send that to me Th- for three sixteenths at least, because yeah. you're be using cool. you're using the same Harveys that I was using, which was uh, the, like fifteenth out corner radius, I think, on a three sixteenths. Yeah, sounds right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I have like at least thirty of those Harvey ones just sitting in my shop that are never going to be used because they're all garbage. That's a lot of inventory. <laughs> yeah. What size is The three sixteenths diameter, I think, with a like a fifteenth out corner radius or something like that. Dude, um, I need so many 316ths diameter end mills. Maybe I'd give you a discount. They're ground or, bad. You don't think I could do floor finishes with them? Oh, no. Okay. In mm-hmm. soft material? Wouldn't In recommend it. Even if you got up. good results, you're going to get varying results because the corner radiuses are ground wrong. Mm. Yep. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, I found, uh, or I, my, my OST rep found me a, um, uh, the A brand equivalent with a, I think it's a 20 thou corner radius. So there's a slight program change, but that should be fine. Yep. I think, but I can send that part number to you as well. I'm actually, I'm ordering up all these tools tomorrow. I'm not looking yeah. forward to that order. It's going to be yeah, so because expensive. I, I swear to God, I, I've reverted to looking things up on MSC finding the part number <laughs> and then going to GGI and ordering it because MSC doesn't have them in stock, but they have no. a better search. <laughs> MSC that's with... also kind of a mess, but I've literally done the same thing. Yeah. Can I hook you up with my tooling guy. Yes, please. I'm... He has $20 overnight shipping. I thought if I just like grinny bared wow. it, that it would like, I would have figured out how to look this up, but I spent like three hours today trying to find it. And oh my I, goodness. It was a mess. So yeah, I think. I'm, All right, cool. Uh, I will point. send you his information. Yeah, I'm sure thank he'll be happy to work with you. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> also, let me know what you need and I can order some extras tomorrow. Cause I'm putting in a massive order. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, if they go down to one sixteenth of an inch. Um, 
I haven't seen that Let for the hard mailers. Let me check real quick. Let's see. See, a lot of these companies to only go to an eighth. I think they go down to two mil. I actually, I, I had just reached out to my OSG guy recently trying to find a 25 thou equivalent so I could replace the Harvey tool with it. Mm, nice. So let's see what he told me. If he told me they go that small. Um, let's see. Yeah, it doesn't say how small they go. Well, uh, while you're looking up, uh, I might have asked you guys before. Do you guys uh, have any suggestions for cleaning my blades before heat treat? Uh, the sink? I don't know. We we don't clean thoroughly. We just clean it and dry it, and then it's been. Yeah, we fine. just kind of. So, like for regular blade blanks, it's typically not an issue. Like you know, making them super super clean. Uh, it's only on our on our newer process with the rectangular. Uh, blade stock where it'll make the bag puff up are you getting puffy bags well i i mostly have someone else heat treat blades mm. a bunch at a time and i feel like sometimes they come back super gray and great and sometimes they're more purple looking and dark. so i had this exact issue um phoenix heat treat right i've used them but i've i've uh i've also used byington and uh okay. i think that's when it's been the most confusing Okay. Yeah. So the first like fifteen hundred Prisma blades that I got through Phoenix Heat Treat, they all came out, you know, just a nice gray heat treat color, like no discoloration on them. Yep. And then the last batch I gave to them, they came back like purple as purple as purple can be. Like yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Purple. Like, is it their fuck or I, I don't know if I've said the f word on the podcast. Is it their <laughs> screw up or is it our screw up? Well, so it's with Phoenix Heat Treat, um. It depends on what they're running, and I never got an exact answer as to why this batch got purple, because it's temper color. So I don't know if it was a different oven. Like they they try to batch everything, you know, as much as they can. So if they have another job running where they can throw your stuff in as well, they'll do it. Yeah. Um and so it it was something related to temper. Um so I I had to have them glass bead the last batch, which helped a lot, but it oh. s- they still didn't glass bead it well enough to get all the purple off of all of them. Hmm. Oh, I forgot. Um, yeah, no, Phoenix yeah. did some beat blasting for me too. And that explained the color differences with them. And so it's possible this other place also just does blasting and I didn't know about it, but I don't think they would, especially well, no, not so half the time. No, they wouldn't do it unless you asked them to, or I mean, Phoenix also, did it without um, asking, which was a little really. Weird. So they, they didn't for me. So like the first 1500, I got through them, they weren't glass beaded, but they also weren't purple. So something, some reason due to how they batch things, for some reason this this most recent batch got purpleized. So they had to they had to glass beat it, which helped but didn't fully unpurple it. Yeah, and I, I think I think a lot of that gets hard milled away or it gets tumbled. But I feel like there's just little places that are just you know you can never perfectly get to, and I don't want to have to uh, beat blast every single blade myself. And so I'm just I right. just want to try to be careful. So I'm gonna probably try to wash them thoroughly and then yep. use a little uh, isopropyl alcohol on them. Okay. Uh, my only hesitant with that is if you, if you wash them like that and then you mail them and they're sitting on a desk somewhere for a week or whatever, they could rust. they're going to rust. Yeah. Cause you just removed any protectant from it. They, uh, because they don't have any oil. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's CPM one fifty four. Yeah, so. it'll rust. Yeah, it's it's more rust resistant in the hardened state. Yeah, plus CPM one fifty four is as out of all the crucibles, or I don't know about all, out of most of the crucible steels, it is not a super corrosion resistant one. Um, it's pretty good compared to like carbon steels, but especially in the unhardened state, in a you know somewhat humid shop, it'll rust overnight. If you if you don't have anything on it, well, yeah, I, I got little speckles of or dots of rust from a tumbling mistake that mostly seems to have tumbled out again, except okay, for good. really hard to get spots. Yeah. Um, also, uh, maybe there's a way better option I I am uh, unaware of, but to clean stuff, I want I I was using dry tumbling media with aluminum, which. Uh, has been great, but it, it's kind of messy, and so I wanted a better cleaning solution than what I was doing. And so I bought a water pick. What is that? Uh, a water pick is like a like for flossing. It's oh, a like, thing. okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking like about. Like a little jet stream of water? dental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got one, and it came with a little brush attachment, which seems to be sort of nice. And... Uh, yeah, I just put it in the shop sink where like the faucet's like slightly dripping into its uh container of water and it it seems to do a pretty good job of like bl- blasting grit out of holes and stuff. Nice. That's awesome. So, uh until I get some fancier parts washer or a a better sink, uh maybe that's a good tip for some people. Yeah. Right. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, other news, I've been super down the rabbit hole for Magna Cut. Uh, okay. I don't remember what I... St- oh, uh, one, Magna Cut has this whole allure to it for customers. Um, yes, it's it, it's currently the hotness. Right, it's currently the hotness. And so I got a comment or a message. No, it was a comment on a, one of my posts. And it was like, hey, what, what Rockwell are you aiming for for the Magna Cut? Because that is a hotly... Uh, debated topic is like yes. if <laughs> right yeah if magna cut is less than you know 62 hrc it might as well be mild steel <laughs> it's like uh-huh. in the folder people, scene that's how it goes yeah even yeah. though like the guy who created it is like the opposite of that type of person yeah well that's one of the one of the things about magna cut for the knife makers it's a very resilient to heat treat steel like it doesn't matter how you heat treat it it still gets hard no matter what you do uh, I, I, to an extent not to me well, so okay, <laughs> it there is a like how to get it super hard. There yes. is a there's a trick to that, but even if you do a a mild heat treat or a, a you know not ideal heat treat, it still gets like fifty nine sixty, which is in the grand scheme of things pretty darn hard. Yep. Uh, yep. For steels, although granted, it you know Magna Cut does excel at a higher hardness than other steels. Yada yada yada. Anyway, I went down the rabbit hole, and so I realized that if I'm going to use Magna Cut, I need to back up what I say, and so I bought a, a hardness tester, um, oh, which nice. I've been wanting to do for a long time. Oh, man. I've wanted a hardness tester for so long. Yeah. I, I, if you ever touch one in school or in you know industry, yep. for me, I fell in love with it first. I was like, I could figure out how hard things are. That's freaking amazing. Right. Um, so that should be here this week, and then I'm going to... nice. I don't know if I'm going to test every blade or at least one out of the, every batch. Um, mm-hmm. 
but we're going to really crack down on our heat treat process so that the magna cut can shine as best it can because very nice what kind yeah. of predecessor did you get was it yeah, like, yeah is it the actual handle style or uh yeah it's it's a um I, I don't know the actual name of it, but right, used it yeah. in school. It it leaves yep. a little dimple in whatever okay, material cool. you measure the width of that dimple. Yep. Nice. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We so, have a little we have a little handheld one, like a little digital handheld one that works pretty well. It's it's we use it more as a, as just like a sanity check than anything, but Yeah. I I've used like little handheld ones in the past, but they've been not precise enough, I guess. Like there is an art to it. We figured okay. it out pretty well, and we actually get results that seem to be within about one to two HRC of, of actual. Okay, that's that's pretty good. But we still never use it for like actually certifying anything. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I uh, I've only used the files because uh, every time I've looked at hardness testers, they're like seem like not something necessarily to buy used, or I can't, uh, or it's like five thousand dollars. Yeah, I yep. I did go used, but I got it from an aerospace company that was liquidating nice. it. Uh, and it looked in a really good state. So awesome. I'm going to get some calibration pucks that's, or whatever. That's what I was going to say. Just, I think you need calibration metal. Yeah. I, and I have, I have calibrated them before in college. So I, I kind of yeah. know roughly what to do. Okay. Um, so see, I, I think see, I'm pretty confident about it. I, I wasn't that worried that I could figure it out. What, what my worry was is I heard that the calibration blocks can be like super expensive. And so if you get a used one, it can be really hard to get those blocks. Mm. Uh, mm. I'm sure, I'm sure within reason I can figure something out. Yeah. But nice. Yeah. I mean, you could get someone else to hardness test some metal and then use that as a standard or something. Yeah, I do. Uh, the old shop I used to work at had a Rockwell tester, so I might. Yep. I might steal okay. theirs for for testing if I need to. Yeah, you can always send me a blade, is like a couple blades, and I can bring it over to Phoenix Heat Treat, and they can test it for me, and then oh, have them yeah. sorted, and then send them back to you. That's a great idea. Yep. It's funny you bring up that Magna Cut is supposed to like take a good heat treat, mm-hmm. like almost no matter what you do. Uh, do you know the reason why I don't use Magna Cut yet? I don't know if I do. So, way back in the day, I was uh, I was doing some prototype work for uh, for a slip joint company, and they wanted Magna Cut on the blade. So I bought a little little you know sleeve of Magna Cut and tried doing some heat treat on it. You know, same process as now: foil bag, nineteen hundred and fifty to two thousand degrees. You know, thirty minutes. Pull it out. Mm-hmm. Plate quench it. And then whatever the temper was, I forget the temper cycle for it now, but I followed nice steel nerds procedures for it. And right. it came out to like 38 Rockwell. <laughs> what the heck? I kind of remember this, I feel like. Yeah. And so ever since then, I just haven't touched it because <laughs> I feel like Magna Cut is not to like naysay anyone who uses Magna Cut for Bally's in particular, but I feel like Magna Cut for the purpose of the Bally's that we sell personally, like, like, machine wise at least uh the benefits of magna cut will be lost on it mm. i i do agree with that at least for most users probably yes. I, you know i may have a misperception about the balsam community but i i do think that most or at least half or something along those lines are more flippers than they are users oh 100%. now yeah i will say i am completely on the other half i'm i'm a user no you are for sure <laughs> i'm a user first and everything that i make gets completely you know used there my edc um 
And so even though I des I design for both, I definitely design for flipping. Um, I am predominantly making sure everything is built for a user. Yeah. And I don't know if that really shows in the market or if people understand that, but as part of the reason I'm cool with using Manica is yes, it's not an ideal Balasong steel because it's frankly too hard for a Balasong. Um, right. It's not necessarily too brittle. It is quite a tough no. steel, but it's, like it's you said, tough the, for sure. the benefits that you would get by putting it on a folder, you don't really see that on the Balasong most of the time. Yes. Um, but also no one's done it. So, you know, right. someone's got to, kind of do it first oh yeah no totally i think it's definitely it's super cool to see it um and i will be venturing i actually want to get with you guys on it i'll be venturing down the road of magna cut for this little project that i have stayed up for the last almost three days finishing that i don't want to say yeah. what it is yet but you guys know what it is yeah good luck um <laughs> a it, it came out phenomenal for a first attempt and i'm, I'm very very excited but b uh both martin and i martin being our our, our product engineer have been going back and forth on if we want to do Magna Cut or if we want to do 20 CV for the blade. Do you guys have input on that? Mm. 20 CV is also a super premium steel. It's just not as hype right now as Magna Cut. But like with most trends, Magna Cut will die off eventually and 20 CV will still be around. No, no, I don't know if I'd look at it that way. I, I, I think, I think a long time ago, I tried to get you to like, um, watch a video about like, raising your value versus lowering your costs versus, you know, like your perceived value. Um, you know, I, I think it's just like totally dependent on like where you want to position. Uh, you know, I mean, I can say it's a knife, right? Oh yeah. No, no. We'll just call it, we'll just call it a knife. Um, uh, like I, I think it's just like, do you want to, um, be this thing that's competing with other Magna Cut knives, or do you want to be the thing competing with other, uh, you know, whatever blade steel? And, and I and I think you kind of have to do a little research, probably. Oh, we've done a lot of research, and so obviously Magna Cut, amazing steel. Twenty CV also incredible steel. In some aspects, Twenty CV has a couple things that you know have an edge over Magna Cut that we feel, um, but well, Magna no, no, Cut no, has the mean... edge of its. I don't mean researching the steel. Okay, okay. No, no, we've we've done market research as well. But like just you've seen like what other knives uh like what you think the other knives that use Magna Cut, like who are they trying to appeal to and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean okay. absolutely no shade torn towards like Grimsmore or anything, but they're on RWL thirty four on, you know, eleven hundred dollar knives. Yeah. Which, it's a great steel, don't get me wrong, but it's it's that, not you know, there's like a yeah. meme on the like chef knife subreddit. That's like every level of chef knife you should get. And it's like, if you just have $50, you should get this. If you just have $60, you could get this. And then it just like stays at the $60 level where it's like, you're not good at enough at cutting to need the thousand dollar chef knife. You're not as good at, at sharpening to need the thousand dollar chef knife. It's like, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think most people don't, uh, of course, need the craziest steals ever. Um, it's just what you, when you sell anything to people, you're selling them emotions, and and it's if, yeah, totally. if that connection to like this is a high tech cool steal, you know, if that's worth the money to people, then it's worth the money, even though you know it's not like they actually need to. 
you know, cut 10,000 trees down with it. Totally. And like, I mean, I feel like even most people who would buy just like, you know, say a $400 folder or whatever, um, you know, people in that market, I feel like most people who are buying those aren't even going to utilize them. I mean, every day steel that much, like, you know, I, I don't even blade steels are as important from a user perspective as a lot of people would like to, uh, mark up a tree about. Yeah. There's, and there's, that's probably a hot take, but I will stand behind it. No, it's, I mean, it probably is a hot take, but I completely agree with you. Um, there, I think there's two sides to it. One blade steel, uh, as the maker side. So, uh, I can tell you from experience, MagnaCut is warpy. It's also an utter nightmare to hard mail. <laughs> it awesome. is because it because it is super hard. Uh, yeah. And so, if you make it to the right heat treat and it gets super hard, uh, you still have to cut through that. So, if yeah. you're planning on doing any hard milling, um, keep that in mind. I don't know if yeah. 20 CV is different. I assume it's a little. Yeah, bit I don't softer. have any experience with it. Yeah, I have zero. Uh, I have zero making experience. I think I have one, or maybe Zeke has one, uh, twenty CV, and yeah. you know, every, at some point, knives. yeah, at some point, every every knife from Crucible or every steel from Crucible, it's like, yeah, that's great steel. Yeah, right, um, it's Crucible steel. Like it's gonna be good regardless. But yeah, so I think on that side, I would prioritize whatever is doable or the most doable or like the least scrap rate, yeah. because. Yes, yeah, Magnica does have a flashy selling point, but if you can, if you can't make as many because you're using Magnica, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm not too turt. So one thing, um, and I haven't gotten there yet, and I'm oh, I'm curious if maybe you'll get there before me. But um, since you are doing Magnica, I've heard a lot of talk that uh, doing a proper liquid nitrogen quench um, actually, while it does also make it harder, it uh, it helps with tool life. It makes sense. We talked about this a little bit. Yeah, we did a little bit. It should have a more consistent grain. Just a more homogenous material at that point. Yeah, because it's converting all of the whatever austenite to martensite. Um, Converting one hard thing into the different hard thing. Yeah, there is... I I did as much research as I could with Magnicut in particular. Mm -hmm. There seems to be two trains of thought, and I'm not sure... I'm honestly not sure which one's right, and that's kind of one of the reasons I bought the hardness test, or I'm yeah, I bought it. It's arriving. Um, is because I need to test it myself before because right. there's too yeah, much exactly. misinformation out there. But what? Uh, what's his face? Uh, Knife Steel Nerds, the inventor of Manicut. Yep. Uh, I forget his name right now, but he said that if you go right into essentially, uh, essentially normal freezer temperatures, like negative mm-hmm. ten Fahrenheit, um, right after quench, then you can basically get the same you would if you were doing a proper cryo interesting okay if you don't go right into it as soon as you quench then it does nothing and then cryo is your only option to get better however no matter what you do you need a cryo step because it's like two or three rockwell difference if you don't do any sort of cryo okay which is huge that is big so yeah basically liquid nitrogen is just a way to brute force and it's the worst case yeah, and so and there's also you can also do dry ice, which depending on your batches and whatever may be yep. better or worse. Yeah, um, it's also hard to store dry ice, so like it's a buy it every day kind of thing. Well, it's same thing with liquid nitrogen. It um, is. So it's really just having a doer at the end of the day, I guess. 
Yeah, it's it's picking yeah. your battle. But so Dude. what we're we're doing right now is we're doing qu- right into the quench for I think a minute or two until it's touchable, and then right into a freezer. Um, for for <laughs> do a few you guys hours. run from, from from your quench plate over to your shop? Uh, over yes, to the shop fridge. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I'm thinking about how to decide. To me, it's like if someone's a really good maker, I want to buy from. It's clear that like every decision they've made is intentional and thoughtful. And uh, Knife Steel Nerds made this steel because like he noticed that, you know, maybe if you add more of this type of carbide, uh, you know, you can get a little more toughness combined with this hardness, you know, in a way that is kind of a gap in the steels that were out there. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. Uh, but like, if you don't care about that and it doesn't give you the results you want, both in terms of manufacturing and use, uh, then like you should find a steel that does have what you want in, in manufacturing use and then be like super proud of it where, you know, you aren't just doing it because it's a trend in the same way. Like you didn't start making your own hardware because like you wanted to save money and you're like, you know, just doing the cheapest option or the easiest thing. Cause like, that's what people default to. Like anytime any company makes any decision, it's like, Oh, you know, they're just trying to screw us over to make more money. No, like you made hardware because you want it to be better and more consistent and make better products. And so it's the same thing with the steel. If it's not leading to a better product, then find the steel that it, you know, does. Yeah. Right. I I will say in my experience, uh, which granted is completely qualitative at this point, or uh is that right? Which one's subjective? Or or uh I don't know. I'm English going is hard. <laughs> it's it's completely my experience and not an actual scientific study or anything like that. Right, right. Uh, our Manica blades have outperformed our S35 blades by a noticeable difference. Okay. Um, so as far as is Magnacut good, I think yes. I think it's. I, oh yeah, yeah. It, I'm sure it's a fantastic steel, yeah. and I'm sure it does have, you know, an edge over S35. I, I think it, I think it's really cool that it exists and that like you know Knife Stillner's blog exists and stuff and I have his book right behind me. Um, but like you know how there's like wine testers where like they'll do a blindfolded wine test and it turns out they like can't tell anything apart. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's probably no test I could do with like the cheapest steel and uh, the nicest steel where I could tell like blindfolded. Sharpening would be like the one instance where I could where I could tell the difference, but the only time I've noticed a difference is like if I'm sharpening ABL versus you know. Well, I guess I guess that's that a good ABL. I guess that's a good point, and you don't even have to be blindfolded. If it's if one if one knife I have is super annoying and like is so hard or so tough, whatever that uh, it's just you hate sharpening it. Then like yeah, I guess that's a very noticeable thing. Yeah, we definitely it's it's noticeable sharpening. The other thing that I've noticed. Uh, randomly in the shop i need to cut actual metal with my knife for whatever reason like deburring you know, or something deburring or like I've a box there. has a staple in it and i just cut uh-huh. through it like stuff like yes. that um and i've I done that there yeah and I've, I've done that with s35 and usually it's kind of it dulls the knife pretty fast if i'm really abusing it yeah yep. uh, i've never chipped it at least not that i can think of but it, it'll roll and it'll dull yeah um that's also due to our heat treat with it we prioritize toughness but the magna cut i did that i cut straight through i basically cut through a staple it took a whole notch out of steel staple and it was still like razor sharp nice okay 
you know, again, that's all like one experience or two, but yeah. um, I mean, yeah, I, everything's, definitely... everything's a trade-off like that might be better edge retention, but it also means it might be harder to sharpen. And so, you know, the idea that it has good retention and is easy to sharpen, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, hopefully that's, that's something he was, he was uh, optimizing for. It's been a while since I read about Magna Cut. Yeah, well, the, the biggest thing for that long, right? Uh, it's, yeah, it's a few years, like year maybe. or year or two, something like that. Like two years or something. Yeah, um, it was a the, big deal at Blade Show twenty twenty two. Yeah, the, yeah. The the biggest thing that I appreciate about Magna Cut is uh, the corrosion resistance is like okay. un, unparalleled. That'd be nice, uh, really. At, at least in this this like realm of blade steels where it's like hardness edge retention high toughness usually those steels don't have good corrosion resistance right uh, and there's two reasons for that chromium carbides or yep. carbon steels um those you usually you go down the carbide hole or you go down the carbon steel hole in both of which you lose corrosion resistance yep. um and whatever he did uh he basically lowered the chromium content and that produced less carbides he has higher, I believe it's vanadium. Um, okay. And so that's kind of how he's supplementing the hardness. And it, you know, it's all magic and science, but it works. Yeah. And so yeah. I haven't seen a speck of rust on any of our Magna Cup blades. And we, okay. so all the prototypes get abused. They get left in the tumbler. Left oh, totally, dry, yeah. You know, like, uh, whereas 35 and CPM 1 to 4 definitely would kind of show specs or usually oh, rub off or you know okay super easy light but i haven't seen a single mark on magna cut nice okay so uh, like it's also super cool yeah like with our s35 blades um after tumble we i've tried to get our team into like wiping them off after tumble but yeah we never really got onto it very well because you know it's a we just get them out get to the next thing kind of thing and so yeah. they'll often sit for a day or two just with tumble water on them and they haven't rusted so far yeah our, our shop is good super bad environment it's it gets super humid in there yeah uh, okay and so it's basically just a, a rust pool waiting to happen any anything <laughs> yep. that's that's not hunkered down with oil it gets rusty right yeah uh, my old shop a, was like that because swamp cooler yeah yeah basically yep but can we take yeah. a moment to appreciate how sharp abl can get and how easy it is to get it oh. like Dude. like beyond scary sharp yeah i was about yeah. to talk about AB, aebl where i actually think about this the blade steel or not not as much lately but for a while i would think about what's blade steel i should use and it's kind of like there's really weird steels used for scissors and so it's like i got stuff working with uh cpm 154 good uh so i'll advertise like hey it's got a kind of cool steel in it but if it turned out that i just had to use like uh, ABL or, or some weirder, <laughs> crappier steel because that's like what the best scissors are made of. Yeah. Then I I wouldn't advertise it the same. I'd I'd like maybe not mention it, or you know I'd be like, hey, you've never heard of this. I promise it's the premier scissor steel. So right. try to learn it and not act like it's worse than Magna Cut. It's you know different. Yep. Everything has trade offs. Right. Yeah. I God, I wish I could run ABL for all of our stuff because it is literally cheat codes for hard milling. Oh yeah, it's a dream. It, That's, it machines like aluminum. It, it, it yeah. doesn't, but it does. Well, I mean, I was, uh, I was yeah. almost tempted to say like, maybe one of you guys should just, especially like on one of your your cheaper, you know, I don't know how how much you 
try to like make tiers of, of like, this is the cheaper product or this is the more expensive product, but maybe just make a few with AEBL for slightly cheaper. See, the, you know, what people think. The one, if I were to do it on one, it would be our Prisma Pro Live Blade, but we're soft milling that one. And AEBL is, it's a very warpy steel. Um, and so, so I think we'd well, actually, yeah, we would have a harder time it's because warpy. we're doing the soft mill process milling it but i thought you said it was pretty stable heat treating it or is that wrong yeah no it so yeah it is it it, it, words are hard it is stable heat treating it's specifically warpy from machining or lots of stock removal Mm -hmm. Uh pre-heat treat i've also heard of a lot of people who like you know more handmade knife people who will use abl and grind in bevels after it's hardened and they'll also have warping issues Hmm. it just builds up stress or yeah. Like yeah. That. All this stuff, I just wish I had more precise numbers on. Because, like, if someone tells me something, like, "Oh, Magna Cut has better edge retention," or "Oh, AEBL is more warpy," it's like I wish I could just know. Okay, it's seventeen percent more warpy, or it's five percent <laughs> better edge retention. Because people on the internet will be like, "Oh, this has better edge retention." In their mind, they'll think it's a hundred times better edge retention. Yeah, usually it's. Uh, but it's usually things are minimal. so nebulous and weird and squirrely and yeah you know it's it's just times like that i wish i just had the somehow magic real numbers right yeah speaking of heat treatment warping i have it's something i i probably more or less knew already but i verified it this weekend which was a a good humbling learning experience um so i was working on this prototype and i didn't have any blade stock that was wide enough Mm. Um, other than like two years ago, I bought some quarter inch thick, two inch wide, two foot long sticks of ABL for a project nice. that never happened. Yeah. So, you know, just big old honking chunk of ABL. And it was wide enough. So, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll use that. So, I, you know, I faced down half the thickness in the mill and then profiled it out. And I took it all off of one side. So, it took off, you know, an eighth inch off of just one side. So, it ended up bananaing really bad. Mm. Um, and I was like, well, you know, it's going to go into heat treat. It's going to, it'll, you know, ramp up the temperature and then get sandwiched between two flat plates. Surely it'll come out moderately flat after heat treat. Mm-mm. So um, I decided to forgo straightening and then rough surface grinding and just send it through heat treat. They came out of heat treat with exactly the same amount of warp as before. Mm-hmm. So however warpy it is going into heat treat, it will not get any better. Yeah, that's what we found too. <laughs> yep. I've so been that was super anal yeah. about it lately. <laughs> right. So like to save, you know, like I wanted to save like 40 minutes of work before heat treat by, you know, not straightening, not, not grinding that ended up losing me almost five hours of surface grinding. Cause I had to flip these oh after surface. Like I had to straighten them after, after heat treat and temper. Well, if you're using ah. the Tormach, then that's only like taking one thou off. <laughs> no, I, I was doing the brown and sharp for this. Um, so, uh, and there's only like like two and a half thou of stock, and these things had like 15, 20 thou of warp. Jeez. <laughs> so uh, I spent almost five hours surface grinding four blades, like three thou total thickness, and I still only got two that were good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's a you know live and learn moment. Um, don't cut corners to save time because it's gonna bite you in the ass later. Yeah. Well, when when yep. you guys started machining uh did you look at like the machinability stats of metal no i haven't looked at this in a long time but like 
there's like machine ability stats of metals where I think like normal 100% machinable uh, is 100% and that's like, um, you know, 1018 steel or something. Would and then aluminum? aluminum would be like 300%. Okay, this this chart is is now silly. And then and then like 1% would be, you know, in Canel or something. Right. So like the higher the number is, the easier it is to machine. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's just it just sets 100 percent as kind of like a baseline. OK. Because you, know? you can't really put a number on it. It's just basically like, yeah, sure. Aluminum's triple the easiness of 1018, whatever. Um, there should be something like that. Or I'm surprised there's nothing like that for like how dimensionally stable a material is. I mean, you can like for heat tree. I mean, I mean, there's probably like engineering. I mean, you can look up um, any crucible steel has a it has a a growth percentage. For oh, heat growth tree. percentage. Oh yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah, it'll give I guess you, that um, would be kind of yeah. Yeah, mm. like I think I forget if it's S thirty five or CPM one fifty four or something. It's like a point two percent growth per inch or something. Something small. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. I didn't know about that. You can hold something in your hand with a micrometer and see the difference in heat. Well, but specifically before and after heat treat, once they've normalized back down to the same temperature, because um, yeah, your your parts will technically grow after heat treat. Yeah, when we started this podcast, I spent so much time trying to like figure out like what steel I should use based on its bending characteristics and just was never really satisfied with the answer. Even after I talked about it on the podcast, emailing yep. life steel nerds guy. Right now I just trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Iterative failure. Yeah. I th- even those machine ability stats, like y- you can't surmise everything no. in one number. Cause it, it just like titanium has its own quirks. Like to me, titanium yeah. is butter. Cause I've been milling it for so long. Yeah. Exactly. But it's also like, gummy compared to a lot of other steels and some steels are super gummy some steels aren't but if you just like used a higher feed rate they're not gummy at all so maybe that's more machinable even if you don't know how to machine no, it. no it's it's definitely you know? imperfect but i do appreciate that like mcmaster i don't think mcmaster uses the same system but like just looking at different stainless steels because i was trying to decide what stainless steel i might use for a different project being like you know three or three good three or four bad in terms of yeah there's like Free machining 303. Yeah, like 303 is a free machining steel. 304 is just a stainless. And so just, you know, I don't know every like I, I've not, I haven't machined every type of stainless steel. So like anything well, yeah, that like kinda but... points you in the direction of like, oh yeah, this would be, you know, something more for welders. This would be something more for you just need to make some part, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think every machining school should have their students give them all a pallet of various materials and a bridge port and various end mills and say, go make chips. <laughs> Maybe a yeah, lathe, but yeah, that sounds so like So much of my idea. core knowledge and like understanding was from my manual days. Yeah, that's, that's I, I've gone point. back and forth. I, uh, I, I kind of thought it was good that my education started with a year of, uh, manual stuff or not maybe not a year but like two-thirds of a year and then uh then i saw a talk from mark terryberry of haas at autodesk university talking about getting people in the trade and like i don't know like it it is it is a different skill set like 
the ear thing kind of applies, but like the feel thing doesn't apply as much as I might have said it was in the past. Like getting a feel of turning the wheels. Like it is kind of good, but like in a way it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know if it really translates to CNC. It made a big, big impact for me. But granted, I was a manual guy for five or six years before I even touched any CNC equipment. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me is it changes the way that you think about the cutter. Because uh-huh. I think CNC, you get really caught up in fees and speeds and yeah. you know all the numbers, like which are great. Numbers are awesome. Uh, but I've spent sometimes like five hours in the okay, do I cut four tenths or seven tenths per flute? Yeah. And I really should have been cutting two thou per flute. And I just never got to that point because right. I was sitting at the computer. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, it, it's, it's yeah. tricky. Cause like, um, you know, with like big cutters and stuff, you hear it, you see the spindle load maxing out. It's like, Oh, okay. That's bad. You know, it's obvious. Uh, with the small stuff, it's like, you just go break a bunch of end mills, you know, and, and yeah. often you, you know, you're trying to do stuff on a manual lathe or something. I think Steven Gottswin or whatever, he made like a, a special drill press, or, or maybe he just uh, made something for the. Um, I don't remember what he made. He made something where it's just just you're using super tiny drills. It's just really hard to feel, you know, the right amount of pressure you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about. I mean, it's less about like you know turning the wheels, but it's how it sounds in the cut. You know how the machine is vibrating in the cut. There's a lot of feel and sound. The the sound the thing too. Is. I was I was just thinking about earlier where it's like. It's like with the coolant pump going, a, a mist collector going, the tumbler going, the air compressor going. I'm like, yeah, I can't hear anything on this eighth inch tool. Like, really? Oh, well, the tumbler going—that makes sense. Tumblers are super loud. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. When I'm running through a program, I I basically have my ear like on the door, and I'm looking through it. So, but like, I I can hear pretty much everything, even with. I mean, everything I did was like pretty light cutting, so I don't know. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'd have to think about it, like how, how you know, aggressive I'd have to be to like really hear an eighth inch tool with all that stuff going. Right. Um, I don't know. I I, I just think it's uh, unfortunate, like how you know, and I make videos, and and I've I've had to deal with the coolant splashing, and you can't see anything. Yep. Like it, it's just unfortunate, like how blind it can feel. Where often you kind of do have to hope that mm-hmm. you've made the right choices when you program something. Right. You know, what baffles me about mm. machines and machine tool builders. It seems that no one, no machine tool builder, cares about giving proper visual access inside the machine when yeah. that's like the most important thing. Yeah. It's just weird to me. How would you do it better? Like, there's the spinny wheels to keep coolant away. Like, what else can you do? I mean, like, it could, like, I'm sure you could do some kind of cool, like, like, like three mirror setup, even where there's just a little viewport, you know, like next to your control and, it, you know, three mirrors bounce up from like a top view down, like something. There's got to be like a top or, view would be cool, actually. Yeah. Just, just one, just a little, just like something, or you know, something. or like, hell yeah, even a webcam that's just, properly shielded from coolant i don't know if it does anything when it's running but the daytron webcam stuff is cool yep 
because like all the new you know modern day machine tool builders they they lock out any way of open you know running the machine with the door open which i get it and people kill themselves doing that or hurt themselves really bad but like i can very easily cause a 10 to fifteen thousand dollar mistake because i couldn't see it before it crashed you know no, there's it's just, yeah i mean it's so interesting well, to me or even like I'm sure I like people are probably going to do a, a bad implementation of this before we get the good implementation. But at some point, there's going to be cameras in the mill, just like the Bamboo Labs printer, and it's going to be like, "Oh, I know what a vice looks like because I have AI. I'm not going to let that cutter go into the vice. I'm going to warn the operator." Somebody at uh, one of the trade shows was doing some stuff like uh, that. Haas has some like a uh, thing that like feels the change in spindle load or something oh yeah that's yeah it was a pause that had that that demo where they were trying to crack well you could crash a tap into your vice draw and it would you know stop yeah. it before it broke the tap kind of thing yeah that's i like, i didn't think it was camera great, based but I, I didn't really no, look that's at just it load. that's yeah, purely so load monitoring but i think at some point because the ai thing could even include like you know hands and heads right like oh there's a hand sticking into this lathe Someone hit the green button, but I'm not going to go because I know what a hand looks like. Yeah, That's going to get super annoying when you get locked out because you have a hand-shaped part or something. <laughs> but eventually, you're making hopefully there will be the good... Yeah, right. The good <laughs> Sorry, boss, can't run this part. It's a hand. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, that's always been interesting to me as well, the fact that, like, these machines know where they're at in 3D space. It doesn't need that much information. It wouldn't be that much extra information if, like, tool projections and holder information was posted out with the program and you just told the machine what vice you had and where. Like, there's a lot of crashes that could be avoided entirely just with, I feel like, not that much work on the machine tool builder's side. I'm sure there's logic to everything, but when I was in machine school, I had a friend who was really into, like, programming and stuff. Yep. And he was like, why is why is it even G-code? Like, you know, hasn't someone made a better programming language for this stuff? Like, yeah, nerds that has or more, nerds or something. That has better, you know, if statements or conditional type stuff than the way it works. And, uh, yeah, I feel like there's just a lot of stuff where it's like, is it here because we just have built on top of it and it'd be too hard to start over? Or are we here because, like, no, it actually should be this super basic programming language because that's like the fastest both, for the machine to progress. You know, I mean, I think it's both, honestly. Like, yeah, you know, industry—it's a very, very large industry, which is the backbone of you know a lot the of world. the world. Um, I mean, God, probably. I mean, I'll probably sound ignorant, but probably you know trillions and trillions of dollars behind this industry across you know the globe. Yeah. So you can't just up and change things like that, unfortunately. Yeah, well, but also, and, Industry 4.0 is... But there's so many different machine thing. builders that it's yeah. kind of weird we don't see even more weird stuff like, I don't know, Daytron or something. Yeah. I was, G-Code does have a lot of benefits on the very easy... Like, it's very easy to learn G-Code. Out of all the programming languages I can think of, yeah. uh, like, you can look at G-Code and read it like a book. Yes. And so can your you know 75 year old uncle who's been a manual machinist and learning cnc he can figure yeah. that shit out oh, yeah. so that's probably frankly not the best for a mill to digest as far as like space or speed goes and try, you know we all know it's kind of 
slow. <laughs> We've oh. all bogged down an adaptive toolpath because we were going too fast or something. Also because um, the hardware is from, from in the 90s, but... Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, but it's like, you can look at it and you can also avoid... Uh, the operator to the programmer, that conversation that never happens, so you have it happening through the program. Yeah. Um, I think G-Code is probably one of the best that I can think of to have that conversation through. Because I've, I've seen many an operator look at a, something written by a programmer up in the office and go, oh, that would have crashed the mill. And then he changes it on the spot because no, he can I mean, read it. You know? Whatever programming language that could replace G-Code, I definitely wanna, wouldn't want to lose the, the human readability of it um, or, or able to, to modify it and use it. Um, I mean, it feels so old school how much stuff like I might have to do at the machine that's like typing in three letters and numbers and it's like, yep, there we go. You know, it's not, it's not some visual interface, you know, it's, it's, it's still old school in a way. And like, I wonder, we got so many different things. Like we got fusion 360 and different cam software. And then there's all these things on top of that. The, uh, the simulators like, um, was like the one maybe Saunders or Grimsby used with five axis stuff. No, you're talking about, I can't remember what it's called though. Uh, Whatever it can like make your programs even more efficient and even more safe. Mm-hmm. Make sure it works with your machine correctly. Um, it does like physics simulations. Uh, it's just kind of like uh, it seems like eventually. I mean, of course, in reality, all these things technology goes badly, but it it seems like in reality, eventually, all those things like from the machine to the computer would all be like the same program or something instead of like this kind of step process. Mm. Uh, I mean, maybe, but it's also hard to think of an example where that, that like transition has happened. Cause even like three printing, which what I, I would consider uh, more cutting edge than milling is because it's just a newer technology. So it had a better start. Um, like the slicer is still, you know, your cam software. And it still well, the, spits out G code. There's a lot of uh, benefit to specializing, and so Fusion is trying to have a slicer in it. But of course, the people who focus on just being a slicer are better at it right now. Yeah. Um, but I also don't know if there's as much money being thrown at that as as machining. And so I, you know, I'd wonder if DMG Mori is like, at some point, like, hey, we like how you can just delete a toolpath by pressing the delete key in Fusion. Let's just do that with our machine where instead of a thousand lines of code you'd have to delete, you can just, you know, we have some smart, I don't know. There's so much conversational programming out there that I know exists. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying. Like things, it's almost like three different languages or two different languages uh, across, you know, from CAD to CAM to, to um, you know, if you're doing another layer of simulation to the actual machine. Um, and then, and then there's another layer cause it's not actually doing the G code. It's, you know, converting that into something else and then converting that into ones and zeros and then converting that into, uh, um, uh, you know, voltages in the, the mm-hmm. servo motors or whatever. Yeah. I, on a semi-related note, you know what I appreciate about the milling industry on a very mm-hmm. like old school way, what parameters and how, some machines. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was just going to ask what the hoss is doing. 
Oh, right. So, yeah, yeah. This this <laughs> has happened not just since you were gone, but since like last week. Yeah, this it was on Monday last week. Okay, so, it, so the podcast listeners aren't too out of touch. Yeah. Uh, Monday last week, I came to the shop, fired up the Haas. I had I had set the entire Gaboon on the Haas, uh, both blades and handles, fully ready on the Haas, toolings all in. I was ready to roll production. I've been prototyping for like two months. Mm-hmm. And I turn on the Haas and it said uh timeout call your dealer which <laughs> is a whole different thing but the right. house is paid off this code shouldn't have been thrown i called my dealer they're like oh that's weird let's reactivate it reactivate it hung up the phone tried to turn it on to like warm up the machine uh the spindle wouldn't turn on it wouldn't <sighs> zero rpm etc uh it would still orient for like a tool change and any you know code would to orient the spender would be fine but just yep. you know uh s3000 wouldn't do anything found out that something in the configuration uh file for the Haas because they don't have actual parameters or they do but they're locked behind this config file whatever uh my Haas now thinks that it's max spindle rpm is zero <laughs> so <laughs> it's just broken <laughs> And have I learned, and most of my experience, not in my business, but like in the industry, has been on 25-year-old, 50-year-old machines where mm-hmm. parameters are just a thing. They're you can right change there. Yeah, yeah. You, they're right there. Yeah. You could change anything about the machine. Hell, you could yep. give it an extra foot on the travel if you wanted to. Like, <laughs> Make that bed fall off if you really wanted to. Yeah, for better and for worse, you could yep. control all the parameters and having so many dead batteries and having to reload so many parameters by hand right uh like yeah it sucked but also i could do it and Uh now i'm sitting with a machine that something in in its parameters are broken and i'm completely locked out because haas has this whatever wall that that the user can't go through and i'm it's driving me nuts (laughs) and so anyway that's what i appreciate about of the milling machine industry, I think it gets really wonky sometimes with like the G code and all these steps and yep. how old school parameters are. But also when you lose them, you, you realize how good they are. <laughs> yes. Totally. So, what is the update on that? Nothing still? Nothing. I was going to call them today, but I got distracted. Uh, so, yep. I'll, I'll so call what, are, what are you waiting on? Just them to get their asses out there? Yeah, so I was I quote unquote was put on the board uh, last Monday, <laughs> but I haven't. I assumed that they'd be like, "Hey, a text coming out, you know, this date," but I haven't gotten any of that. So I'm gonna call them and make sure that I actually was put on the board or whatever. And yep. So funny enough, Haas's breaking isn't why I have avoided Haas this entire time. It's Haas text is the reason I've avoided Haas this entire time. Yeah, I get it. Uh, this has screwed me over. It's, Every time something has gone wrong, it screwed me over in a super uh-huh. large way. Yep. The the most notable being I bought the VF1, uh, which if anybody remembers, is oh, yeah, the paperweight. Yeah, the big paperweight. So fun fact, something I don't know if I shared about that is I bought the VF1, and I got electrical hooked up like immediately. Yep. And then I had to wait. It was a month and a half, I think, for mm-hmm. a Hostech to come out. And uh, what was he? What was he doing? Oh well, so I got the electrical hooked up, and the machine wouldn't boot. 
it would it would go to a weird screen or something. So I was like, okay, let me get a mm-hmm. Hostech out here, get it to boot. Uh, and it was a month and a half since I bought the machine. The Hostech comes out, lets me know the great news. It's a giant paperweight. The board's dead. It's like 25K to replace the board or to, yeah. to retrofit or whatever. Um, all that being said, whatever. I bought a, a machine, so I didn't see my mistake. There is, however, something that was really big about that is the auction house I bought it from, there's a 30-day grace period of, hey, if you receive a machine or something that's completely broken, which was obviously like... But the tech took more than 30 days? Right. So I could, uh... I could have, I could have, if the tech had gotten there earlier, called the auction house and said, hey, I received a broken machine, give me my money back. Uh, but it was way past the date. Oh and, my god! Dude. So Hod's support, Hod's techs, getting a tech into your shop—that is the sole reason I never went for a Hod's. Yeah. You know, machines break. I get it. I'm not going to knock Hod's that hard for thing. You know, things going bad in a shop where you have 15 Hod's. You know, having a tech out every couple weeks—not unheard of. Probably pretty common. Not a big deal. But yeah. when you schedule a tech, and it takes them over a week to get there. And then they just don't show up. You have <laughs> yeah. that happen enough times over the course of a year and a half, and you just swear to never have a Haas. Yeah, I, I, in, I don't know. I think that was one of the reasons I bought a Haas to begin with was they're American made, and there's a dealer. Uh, they're not in my city, but they're in the next city over, which is yeah, it's pretty close in the grand Texas scheme. Um, and I was like, surely, you know, with all that. I can if a motor goes out, I can get a new motor. It's, I'm not having to mm-hmm. wait for some overseas shipment. And nope. there's techs on, in my state and a couple cities. Like I thought it was the gold mine of I've got it late. I've got it made because everybody's close. Uh-huh. Uh, but it turns out, and I think the, re- the Haas has completely screwed themselves because oh yeah, if a tech has to come out to do something like this, which is literally stick a USB in the side of my machine hit a couple buttons and then I'm back on the back to invoice go. you for $5,000 and then it, yeah. And send me an invoice for a ton of money. But if like, this is machine, this is a issue that should never have happened. No. And if it did happen, it should be customer fixable easily. Yeah. However, they could have emailed you a file so quickly. Yeah. They could have done so many things. They could have shipped me the USB stick and I could have shipped it back. Like you, and, and it would be running by now. Yeah, absolutely. They could have um, sent that thing in an envelope and it'd be there by now. Yeah, so it's, they've completely screwed themselves because if techs are running all over the state doing stupid stuff because uh-huh. Haas locks their customers out of their control, then of course they're always you know super swamped. And if, and every Haas tech I've ever talked to is super swamped. Like, uh-huh. yeah, period, it's not the tech story. fault themselves, other than maybe the like no call no shows, which was always baffling to me. But yeah, that's maybe uh, maybe it's because I just got the machine and I've been getting special treatment but i i've gotten you know super super maybe even too timely hostex where i'm like out at lunch and they show up that same day i tried talking to them or something however i will say that um the results of the text hasn't <laughs> been completely confidence inspiring and sort of confusing at times yeah well, and that's... so uh i i i did get my machine because i i felt like I didn't have a lot of options for support in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, uh, mostly the machine's been good, but yeah, it's kind of weird, weird stuff, weird stuff going on with Haas. Well, here's something else that's ridiculous, though. Like, you bought your machine brand new, and it's only been, like, a few months, right? 
Yeah. You've already have you've already had to have a tech out several times outside of install. No, 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 no. I I don't say it's several. I I had a the issue at at the start. Wait, what what issue did I have? I think I've only really had the issue of the the axis lube uh, warning. Oh yeah. And I don't yeah, know what the Haas tried to do, but it uh, sort of worked. And then I uh, uh, talked to them again, and when I, the air was coming back, and I didn't really get uh, any like special trick or anything. And so I talked to my friends. And it's just like uh, just put a little oil on the o-ring and tighten it more and fill it up more and that's what i've been doing and it's been working like, um, I don't know. but that's really Maybe. the only issue i've had with haas honestly i and i i like there's tons of reasons to hate on haas but but it's you know i've i i i've said this before that there's more incentive to be like a hater on the internet so i feel like i gotta try to you know say when things are good and the haas has been really 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 good like sometimes people say, like when I accidentally uh, uh, sc- uh, screwed, I drilled into a, a countersink screw that I left in a countersink, like because I was adjusting it. Like what the Haas can't just like keep a, a, a countersink tolerance. Like any, mm. like lots of people will just post comments on my videos, like what you can't hit this tolerance. Every single thing like that. Once I dial it in, it's been great. There's not been a thing where it's like I just can't hit the tolerance or whatever. It's like once I just find the the spot or whatever, you know, the wear offset, then it's been great. So I'm not here to hate on Oz. Um, I'm here to hate on every machine tool builder. Maybe, <laughs> maybe anyway. my expectations are too high, but if I'm spending 80,000, dollars $160,000 on a machine tool in a business setting, I expect to be taken care of and I expect to receive a good product. So, so I, I, I think that's fair. I also will say that my uh, experience has gone a lot better than yours uh, seems to have gone with uh, your last couple of machine purchases. Well, I'm sure a lot of that is also my expectations are just so high that I found issues that just shouldn't have been an issue to begin with. No, 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 no. Because like the fucking brother, they flooded your shop. I just swore. Several times. Yeah, they, if, uh, yeah. I, I didn't get my shop flooded. I didn't have a, you know, a weird broken motor that was like too loud to talk over. No, but you you got a machine that potentially wasn't able to lubricate itself brand new. Yeah, I don't think that's the tech's fault. I think that's Haas no, 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 that's mach- yeah. bizarre switching from grease because they have a bizarre grease system that I guess is different than other companies who don't seem to have right. to switch and from like, grease not- to oil. It's not just Haas, you know. The brother came with its own issues. The Doosan came with a with 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 several issues. It had a it had a seized um the hell are the the stupid little solenoid. It had a seized subspindle coolant solenoid, and it came with a broken uh, coolant level meter sensor. Here, here's what I'll say: We should know better than anybody that making things is really hard, right? Like we complain about Autodesk sucking. I'll complain about Adobe like Premiere sucking. Uh, I'll complain about you know we'll complain about like Harvey Tool or, or you know Endmill sucking. Like it's hard yep. to make things. Like there's no single company out there we could find where it's like they have a perfect track record. Um, and so 
No, but know, they I'm can not be, here. I'm not here mean, to say any company is good or whatever. I'm just here no, to no, say no, yeah. like, here's my experience. And if if you, you know, you can, uh, you know, I seek I seeked out other people's experience in town with Haas, and their experience was a lot better than people on the internet. So I trusted the people in town. Yeah, it's just that I don't know it. It irks me when there's issues like this that seem to be consistent amongst many other people's experiences and nothing gets changed at the company to improve I will upon say, it. I think yeah. stuff does get changed, but then it's, you don't complain about it anymore. Unless you're Harvey. You find a new problem. <laughs> well, well. It, on the Haas front, something that I truly is, I would consider a grievous offense is the stupid access lubrication clog that has happened to every Haas. Everyone. That, no, they're going to have to just completely start over like the VF2 from scratch or something because it's it's crazy. I mean, that's what I'm saying about where things change. Like if uh, if the first switch they did worked, they you know, I'm sure they thought it would or well, I guess that's not necessarily true, but whatever. At some point, they thought some switch would work. And if it did, we wouldn't be talking about it. We'd be complaining about some other weird thing. Well, yeah. But it's like it was because it's just we're drawn to talk about the bad things more than the successes. Yeah, but well, like if if whatever they did worked, okay. What do car companies do when their airbags fail? They recall and they do it under warranty. They fix it and yeah. they go, great, we made a mistake, we covered it. Now you're back on the road. What yep. does Haas do? <laughs> they charge you two grand to take apart your uh-huh. machine and wait. Yep. You yeah, know, several weeks. Like if if you made a machine that is clogging a lubrication, which is, you know, a vital piece of the equipment. And then you're going to come out and charge me the repair to fix it. It's like, what the heck? (laughs) No, no. I mean, that stuff, like, I don't know. I don't know what it needs to be. I don't know if there needs to be laws or something, because I'm sure Chevy or whoever, if they have faulty airbags, they don't love doing the recall for fun. You know, they have to, uh, I, I mean, I'm assuming they have to, uh, I guess their reputation would suffer if they didn't as well. Also, um, probably massive legal fees. Yeah. Or lawsuits, pending lawsuits. That's the real yeah. reason. It's so, because there's uh, a big financial burden to them if they don't. Whereas with Haas, there's not. Well, I guess I guess that's I guess that's how these things happen with with products that are needed by people. Is is there's class action lawsuits where if a company screws up their product so bad that it's making a bunch of businesses fail or a bunch of people's lives worse than a they get together and do a class action lawsuit, but of course lawsuits are super expensive and difficult and, uh, you know, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, not saying that's something um, we can do. I, I'm not yeah. trying to like propose any solutions or whatever. I was just, no. I, all, I was just literally just saying my experience so far. Yeah. I don't know. I just, cause like, what, what happened to Grant is totally, you know, BS oh, absolutely and, bullshit. And, and totally sounds kind of like the right to repair type stuff where, for whatever reason, they think it's better if people don't have access to those things. They think in the long run it'll lead to less problems or something. But really, it's just uh, lock someone out who, who who has paid for their product from using the thing they paid for. Yeah, that's I can say should it ever happen. You're definitely a saint, Grant. If this happened to me, I would I would literally be at the HFO's office every day. I, I honestly, the biggest thing that has kept me from that is because I just don't have time. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I need the Haas up, but also if I'm going to focus, you know, a day working on something, I, it would be putting the stuff I had in the Haas onto the style and still running yep. production. Cause yep. 
I need production way more than I need the Haas. If yeah, if the Haas is a paperweight, okay, I'll deal with it. You know, um, I, I'll tell you now that production squared away, I'm probably gonna be doing that because right. what the heck? But I mean, like when the Haas eventually gets fixed, what's the plan? Oh, I'm honestly might sell it. <laughs> well, so I think I'll, you should. Yeah, I'll probably be moving shops at some point within the next year or so. Oh, you are nice. Um, yeah, kind of a couple of doors opened up, and we'll see nice. where they go. Okay. But cool. Um, yeah, and Come I might Phoenix. Just set up, uh, no, it, it'd be moving somewhere <laughs> in San Antonio. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, no, you moved to Texas. <laughs> 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 I'm not going. I'm not going to Phoenix. Sorry. Darn. Um, hey, he, but I might he doesn't that have that humidity you were talking about, though. That's true. Uh, um, yeah, I uh, along with like all the other bad stuff of this week for me uh, today, um, uh, I I had fast food for dinner and they like forgot half my order, so I'm uh-huh. very hungry and I think we've been recording for like two hours. Oh shit! Yeah, it's been at least an hour and a half now. So, oh no, uh, yeah, it'll been two one. So, uh, <laughs> should we wrap it up? Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks, thanks everybody. For to me, complain. Thank you.